You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It's good to be back on. Yes, it is indeed, Kate. Yes, it is indeed. Um, we have a monthly Q&A episode with, for us today and for listeners. Uh, we've got six hard-hitting questions. Yeah, we've, uh, we've had quite a few Q&A questions come in via Twitter, Instagram and the podcast email, which is... Podcast at ras.com.au. Where do we get the most questions? Like, where, think, which channel? I think it's been pretty closely split between um, email and Instagram at the moment, which is kind of cool. Yeah, cool. Because thanks to you, we're trying to do some work on Instagram <laughs> at the moment. We haven't <laughs> had much game there. No, no. Instagram's probably been the uh, the area of least attempt yeah. recently. So well, that's uh, from me. Like, I don't even know how to. <laughs> I barely even know, knew how to install. I sound like I'm ninety but I just turned 30. Anyway. Yeah, well, Owen's on TikTok now. We, we just got him on a few weeks ago. So there's a few videos there. We're not quite um, at the level of the, uh, the uh, legit TikTokers yeah. because the videos just seem a little bit too complicated to do with the music and the dancing, but maybe we'll get Owen dancing eventually. No, I don't know about that. But what is the TikTok handle? Is it at RaskAU? I can't even remember. Oh, we'll put a link I'll in the show notes. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. It's, it's too so new. If you, if you are on TikTok... Um, you can check us out. Um, yeah, we are trying to do a couple of videos every week. So have a look at that. Um, so just before we get into the questions for this month, disclaimer, um, obviously everything that we say in this episode is general advice only at most or mm-hmm. if it's factual information if it's just about money. Um, so even if we answer questions that come from listeners, we often anonymize them or we generalize them anyway and you know, even if we are talking about situations, they're not specific to any one individual. So always seek 
the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional. Mm, and it's good to remember that this is just our thoughts as well. There's always a million mm. and one ways to skin a cat, as they'd say, and uh, there's always different opinions and different ways to approach issues. So these are just some of the thoughts that we've had and a few of the resources that we've found to include as well. Yeah, cool. Okay. Let's talk about paying off debt versus investing. So this one comes from Instagram. Uh, Kate, maybe you can read it out for us. Yes. So this question is, I have around $20,000 worth of debt, which I'm paying off and should be cleared in around 1.5 to two years. And this is split between a personal loan and a couple of credit cards. Slowly paying it off, but also started investing since the start of the year and have managed to keep up with the payments and have nearly $20,000 in savings, which is split between sort of 50-50 between investments and sort of cash in the bank now. Um, which I'm very happy about and has only really happened since listening to the podcast. It's awesome. So the question is, would you reduce your savings to pay off the debt? So they're paying around 15% interest on the personal loan. So um, as the as they've mentioned, uh, losing a bit of money due to this. Mm. Um, but they do like the feeling of having savings, especially at the moment with um, less job security. So would you stick to the plan of paying off this debt in 1.5 to two years and cop the interest, which they're saying is around $200 per month, or um, just keep doing what they're doing? So, um, yeah, let's dive into this one. So basically 20 grand of cash, 20 grand of really high interest debt. Mm. Um, I mean, so there's a behavioral answer here and then there's a um, spreadsheet answer. Yeah, so... What's the I mean, if you're answer? looking just at the mass, it's you'd pay off the debt. Yeah. yeah. But we also talk about the importance of emergency fund and there's the risk that you pay off the debt, maybe you lose your job or you go through a tough time with your finances. And if you have mm. no emergency fund, then you might get back stuck back in that debt trap again. So I think it's really essential to keep that emergency fund even if you are in debt. And I think you sometimes call it the float. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you want to make sure. So one of the things that happens when you pay off your credit card is oftentimes people rush to pay off their credit card and mm. then they're left with a zero balance on the credit card but then they've used up all their cash yeah. and then that might take a couple of months to get back to any sort of positive cash buffer which if then you know your insurance for your car rolls in yeah you know your rent whatever it might be mortgage repayment then all of a sudden you're back needing a credit card but you don't have one and um you know that's not a great outcome so you know it sounds like this person is already doing really well with savings mm. like really well I would be inclined to pay off a fair bit of that debt. So yeah. I would, depending on living expenses, personally, I would want to get that $20,000 of debt down as quickly as I, could, as I could. So I might be looking at paying off $10,000 or more mm. um, because $200 a month in interest is huge. Like that's, yeah. that's more than some people pay on car loans or all that sort of stuff. They're 15%. Mm. So the, the basic, basic math for those of you that don't, um, understand this, but if you've got twenty thousand dollars in savings at the moment, you're probably going to get about like, maybe one percent interest, yeah. maybe, and you're paying fifteen percent on the other twenty percent. So you're losing fifteen percent, but you're making one percent, which is taxed. It actually makes more sense to pay off as much of the debt as you can. So I would say pay off. In my opinion, I would pay off over half of that debt um, just to get ahead of it. And the thing is, you know. It feels good to have savings, yes. It feels good to make investments. Absolutely, that's wonderful and keep doing that. However, it will also feel fantastic to have the debt paid down. Mm. You know, I'm not, I'm, 
for a patient investor, I'm probably the least patient with everything else in my <laughs> life. And 1.5 to two years to pay off a debt that is costing me money would be too long for me. I'd want to get rid yeah. of that. Yeah, and if that's holding you back from actually sort of focusing on your financial future because now you're still looking after what's happened in the past. Um, mm. But I, I do think it's it's a good idea to maybe do a small bit of investing. I mean, yep. maybe you don't add anything else to your emergency fund in investing and just focus on the debt from now on. Um, because that's helping you learn and develop some skills and it's also motivating you. Totally. I mean, maybe if you can reduce the debt payment down time frame down to a year by paying off some of it, but having some investments in place, it means you can uh, keep learning and stay motivated during mm. maybe the year it takes you to pay off your debt. Yeah, so that way you can have kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, um, so. But maybe, yeah, pay off a little bit more of the debt. But yeah, it's it's wonderful because... I mean, we're just thankful that we've been able to help in this instance, but it's one of those ones where it does have a behavioral element, which is that you want to be excited about your money mm. and investing. So, you know, that's wonderful. But also there's a spreadsheet answer, which we're saying maybe it makes sense to pay off some. Next question. Uh, I, I'm happy to read this one out because it's one line. <laughs> this also comes from Instagram. Um, it's a question on uh, uh, ETFs and dividends or distributions that come from ETFs. And it says, um, this person says, I would love to know how to determine if an ETF pays a dividend. So dividend distribution, the same thing. So shares pay dividends, ETFs pay distributions, pretty much the same thing, but the way mm -hmm. they're paid is a little bit different. So Kate, what would you do? Uh, so firstly, you can have a look at the product disclosure statement, which you can uh, usually find, yep. so the PDS. So if you go onto the website, so um for example, like BetaShares, Vanguard, ETF Securities, they're all ETF providers. So if you go onto their website, search up your particular ETF, you'll be able to find a fact section and an important document, key document section, which will have that. Um, and then I just control F and search for the word distribution, dividend, that sort of thing, yep. payment, various terms that they use. Um, and then they'll have further information on that. And then if you're wanting to go one step further and find out what the historical um, distribution has been for that ETF. Um, it'll be usually on their website as well, and they'll they'll um, they'll always tell you that past performance is not an indicator of future performance. But you'll be able to see what that ETF has paid in the past, mm. which gives you an indication of um, that it does pay a dividend and what that dividend could look like. And not all ETFs pay um, yeah, a, a distribution. Is something to note. There's a lot of a lot of things that don't have distributions and. Um, it's always good to have a look at the underlying holdings as well. So you can go, oh, that's probably why it doesn't pay a dividend. So yep. if it's an Australia, if top Australian companies, then it's not paying a dividend. Maybe I'd ask a few questions, but yep. um, maybe if it's a gold. Yeah, if it's gold. a gold ETF, you probably wouldn't expect mm. a distribution, at least not that often. Yeah. So you're right. Like I would look straight at the PDS. Um, the other thing that you should be looking at, as well as like historical payments, is also how often they pay mm, yeah. So some ETFs say in their PDS or just on their website, they'll say quarterly distribution, which means every three months, half yearly, which is also known as semi-annually, so semi-annually yeah. or annually or yearly. Um, some, I don't know if there are many ETFs or if there are any, but there are definitely REITs that pay distributions monthly. Um, but basically, you know, if you've got Australian shares, typically Australian shares pay dividends. And therefore, the ETF investors get some distributions or dividends from those. Um, if you're in bonds, you could also maybe expect a smaller amount of, mm. in your distribution, but you'll see that. The important point here is that even if you receive a cash distribution at the end of the financial year, normally a few months after, so like September each year, 
you might receive an annual tax statement from your ETF provider, yeah. at least you should. And so that might disclose things that you need to give to your accountant. But there is another thing, and this is a kind of a inside baseball, a bit of a hint for you here. <laughs> Every month, the ASX publishes an investment products report. So if you Google ASX monthly investment products report, what it will come up with is either an Excel version or a PDF version, and it will list all of the ETFs that are on the stock exchange um, and all of the M funds, which is a similar type of thing, but a little bit different. And then it will say what is the historical yield of that ETF. Again, what Kate said is that's in the past, not the future. So that's something to keep in mind, but mm. that might show you. And the reason why ETFs aren't like shares where it's like, this is the dividend is because the ETF and what's inside it will change over time. So they can't tell you for sure what's going to be in there. Mm. So it's, it's reasonable that they wouldn't know. Yeah. And like some of the, some of the Australian ETFs have cut, um, have well, they haven't cut. They've, the distributions have been lower this year because, um, like some of the large banks have cut their distrib- dividends. So, mm. um, see, we're already getting confused between the words yeah, distributions yeah. and uh, dividends. But um, yeah, pretty much same thing for the, these purposes. Yep. Cool. So the next question, Kate, is a good one about, and the next two are about kind of husband and wives or partners trying to convince each other to invest and save money. Yeah, so I thought it was quite interesting. We got one about helping sort of their husband get involved and one helping their wife get involved. So um, I'll read this one. It's a bit meaty, um, but we'll, we'll get into it. Okay, so firstly, thanks for the podcast. Um, you're informative, but also really break down the basics to help make it simple and point me in the right direction to do my own research. And that's what we always encourage, doing your own research. So um, Owen did mention a few weeks ago about being interested in more psychological Q&As, which mm-hmm. he's pretty excited about. So uh, this is one. So my partner and I are just starting to think about the future and get ourselves set up financially. He's much more focused on making sure we have enough cash aside for a property to live in, um, not a rental at this stage. But I've started reading a lot and researching different investment options, including ETFs and shares, and are keen to get him on board with that to set us up. Um although we'll do it anyway personally to set myself up, at least if things go pear-shaped. Mm-hmm. So he said he would be keen to try out one of the micro-investing platforms to have a go and get started because they seem to be a bit more liquid and if we needed access to the cash fast. Um, but I also mentioned to him about the capital gains aspect as a possible consequence of withdrawing funds too quickly if we don't hold for the full 12 months for the capital gains tax discount which then turned him off this thought. To clarify, we do have a little bit saved already, but um, between us, probably enough for a 20% deposit in outer Melbourne suburbs already. That's pretty good, to be honest. pretty substantial if we're talking about outer Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're thinking about buying in the next year or two. um, And I wouldn't say let's invest all our savings, but at the moment, money in the bank's not really setting us up for the future and definitely not after this week's rate cut. Mm -hmm. Uh, My question is, how do I get him to come around to investing being an option and also... Um, get him into the mindset that money will be invested for the longer term, 20 to 30 years. It's great to see you're already thinking about that long-term frame. Uh, also, from a mortgage point of view, would any investments held be classed as an asset and would that affect or diminish the amount of money we would be able to borrow? So okay, that was a, certainly a mouthful of a question. Yeah. I think that's the longest one we've read on the show so yeah, far. Yeah, I think that's about a two-minute question. So <laughs> that's some good hang time. Um, I, I, I reckon, so just a few points here. First one, great stuff, getting started and encouraging him. But I might take the first one, yeah. the second one first. So uh, the question was effectively, um, 
from a mortgage perspective, would any investments held in my name be classified as an asset or would it reduce my borrowing power? So I think borrowing power, um, you, if you have cash in the bank, it's going to look better from the bank's perspective because mm-hmm. the bank will look at you and go, okay, um, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, you've got you know, your 20% deposit, which is X amount, but you also have the money to cover stamp duty, which is often quite substantial, mm-hmm. particularly if you're buying over 600000 or it's not your first house. Um, you've got money to cover conveyancing, which is like kind of the person that organizes the settlement and whatever. That's about one to $2,000 typically. Um, and you also have money for incidentals that like, like building and pest and all that type of stuff. So they'll look at that and they'll say, okay, you've got enough cash for your deposit and you've got enough cash for all of the property hoo-ha. Mm. But if you also have stocks, they'll probably look at that and they'll be, they'll say, yeah, that's an asset against your name. So it's not going to reduce your borrowing power. However, um, they probably won't treat it the same as liquid assets. Mm. So yes, I mean, it makes sense to have more than your deposit. That's what I would say is it makes sense to save over 20%, even if you are going to use 20%. Yeah. But having the stocks or the ETFs won't work against you. Mm. So if you have enough to do both, then you just do that. And <laughs> But just keep in mind the one thing that a lot of people don't think about is, is that the bank does like to see that you have enough to cover both um, the stamp duty, which can be pretty substantial. There are calculators online. Yeah. And any of the kind of little incidentals. Yeah. And then you also want to still have an emergency fund after all that. Yeah. I've heard many people, um, their whole emergency funds tied up in their deposit and they just put it all into the house and then they're starting from zero essentially back to pay, living paycheck to paycheck. So you don't want to be in that position. And it's good you're thinking about the long term frame as well when thinking about investing mm. um, and definitely not thinking about putting your whole house deposit in the stock market, which yeah. is not something we would yeah. ever recommend. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. So obviously no, no, no money that you would want to use in the next three to five years should be in the share market or in the micro investing apps. But um, you, you remind me of a good point there, which is that oftentimes people do use a lot of money for the deposit and um, you know put it into their house. Um, you can, oftentimes you can borrow more with the bank and you can then put the money into an offset account or like mm. the, the mortgage has an offset account when you get it. Mm. So offset accounts and redraw facilities are actually very powerful um, kind of features of a mortgage. You shouldn't have to pay extra for them and you don't have to with you, if you go to a good bank. But um, you can use, you can effectively, if you have say, let's say hypothetically, you have $150,000 deposit, that's fantastic. You might say, okay, we'll put, even though we've got enough not to have lenders mortgage insurance for this particular property, we'll put $100,000 on the loan and we'll keep $50,000 in there in the offset account when we're done because then that is actually a really effective way to keep your emergency fund somewhere but also earn, I'm doing air quotes, interest <laughs> because you don't actually earn the interest in an offset account. It just offsets the mortgage payments. Yeah. So that's a really um, important thing to keep in mind is that sometimes money in an offset account once you get a mortgage is more powerful than a savings account when you have an emergency savings. Okay, that wasn't really a question. So that was the answer to the second part. Yeah. So the First part was more about um, sort of having a go with micro investing, and I think we, when we spoke to Raise Invest the other week, it was a, it was a great discussion about how um, people just get their confidence up starting with that five or ten dollar figure. It might not be um, like in terms of fees. Sometimes when you're starting with the small amounts, it's not quite doesn't quite make sense in terms of fees. But in terms of getting some sort of understanding and dipping your toe into the toe finger into the market <laughs> um it's it's quite a, a good way to get started and, and if you're thinking about small amounts like a hundred dollars i wouldn't be really thinking about 
incurring like the capital gains tax like the, yeah the hundred dollars it's not going to um really affect that tax bill <laughs> yeah put it in perspective if you have you know if you ask him to get started with just some micro investing accounts so maybe you tell him that you know these are the things that you want to do you know you put a couple hundred dollars in there or use the roundup feature the benefit that he would get if you can convince him to do that with a small amount of money because he does want to do property you could say hey why don't you do when we do this as well mm. um the benefit that you and he would get from him being more open to investing in other things than property would far outweigh the you know the, the money that you would be paying in capital gains yeah. tax you know let's say you have four hundred dollars in there and it goes to over five years it goes to you know a few like a few hundred more mm. you know it's not a lot of capital gains tax to pay so no. it's you know you'd much rather him get started get a feel for it get a feel for the ups and downs um, and then what i would say is that keep talking about it and we've got more in the next question we'll have more tips that you can um, use but just make sure that you're, you're still talking about it often mm. and then when he's ready he will say so what is this raise or this whatever you name the kind of yeah. app, invested in anyway. And then you can say, well, it's actually just invested in ETFs. Mm, and then you can start to have a look at what are these ETFs yeah. and what's some of the underlying, oh, you're actually invested in Google and Amazon and CBA and yeah. BHP and all these companies and it's suddenly you're an owner. Yeah, so then um, you can say, you know, you own ETFs and by owning ETFs, you actually own these shares. And these shares are the things that you're using every day. And mm. this is how finance yeah. and investing works. It's not... Yeah, and that's, it's a great way to start that conversation. I mean, just with a small amount, especially as you're heavily focused on the property over the next few years, if you just start with micro investing and just get that conversation rolling and start having sort of open discussions about investing, like that would mm. be really helpful. And then as we, as we, um, sort of discussed the other week, uh, at some point graduating from micro investing. Yeah. I, I think, um, sort of the consensus was that there's no graduation. You can keep using this in conjunction with other products. But, uh, I sort of think often people get to a point where they can start thinking about investing in that portfolio directly mm. by going through a broker. But that might be over the next five years. You might sort of work up to that point. Yeah. And that's it. You might get to a point where you think, okay, yeah. You know, we've got $500 as opposed to, you know, $20 to put in our investing yeah. account. So we'll go and do that directly or, or something like that. And that's a mm. great way to start. Um, and then obviously just entertain the conversation and remind him of what it's invested in, because that will kind of lead to the next question and next strategy, which is probably ETFs or individual shares or something mm. else. Cool. Okay. So we've got a similar question here. I'll do Kate. Um, a favor and read this one out. <laughs> so this one comes via email and it says, I love your podcast. Cool. And it's been a great learning tool for me. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. I have a question regarding my wife and the best way to get her started in investing. I have started on my investing journey this year to build my long-term wealth. However, my wife is very skeptical about investing and thinks of it as a risky option for money. How would you suggest approaching this to try and get her to start in investing? Kate. So I think this is fantastic that you're even sort of thinking about involving her in this discussion and for the person before as well. I think it's really important that everyone in sort of the family and relationship discusses these kind of questions and includes each other. I mean, I've seen at work in the past um, people um, get to 60, 70, one of their wife or the husband passes away and they call up and they just have no idea. Mm. about the assets that were left behind they don't know where the money was managed and it's really sad to see either gender get left behind and they just have no idea what's been going on so i think it's fantastic that you're trying to get both parties involved 
Yeah, and it's it's almost a so it's almost, it is a type of financial abuse when one partner um, kind of disregards the other partner's wishes with money, and um, it mm. places a lot of stress on relationships. So it's fantastic that you're very open with this. Um, and from these two questions, it's actually going both ways. It's going from male to female, from female to male. Mm. Like these are both challenges, and it's common yeah. in partnerships that one person does take control or tries to take control of the money. But at the same time, it is important to remain open, mm. um, which we'll get to in just a second. It's important to remain open and to remain um, tolerant of each other's wishes within reason, of course. Yeah. I mean, if they've, you know, that we've had some, in, we've heard stories in the past where people are like sims and they probably shouldn't handle the money at all. So, you know, it is, you know, that's a pretty rare circumstance. It's pretty extreme, but this is a really good first step. So, um, I've got some notes here just on this one. Sometimes it does take a life event. Mm. So this is, there was a saying that I heard once that there's no one more motivated with money than a young woman who's just found out she's pregnant. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's probably a bit crass to say, but you know, it can be the same thing for a male, like in the case before about mm. buying a house. Sometimes men are fixated on buying houses as yeah. kind of like a sign of like, I don't know, whatever it is, but you know, weddings, engagement rings, uh, overseas holidays, you know, these are all things that kind of kickstart people's motivation for money. We are talking just before about mm. how um, a family member that I have really didn't have any interest until mm. they started a family. So these things, some, sometimes that's what it takes, but that's outside of your control unless you kind of just yeah. spring it on <laughs> someone. <laughs> Ta-da! Um, so what would you do in this instance? Yeah, so I think um, as we were discussing sort of before off air, the really important thing is to sort of work out where these thoughts and issues are coming from because um, as we spoke to Mel Brown um, earlier this year on the podcast, it really comes down to our money story and our beliefs and how we grew up with money and a lot of the, the behavior that we sort of grew up with in our childhood and the way our parents dealt with money, our community really affects us as an adult and if we don't actually think a bit more deeply about it and address that, then it's going to keep affecting us as adults, even though we don't know it. So I think maybe just having some more sort of open-ended, relaxed conversations about how money was dealt with growing up, how did their, like their parents might've had a terrible experience investing. I know like even in the 08, 09 crash, a lot of people um, have said that their parents lost money mm. um, or like saw their superannuation hit and maybe they turned to cash at that point or something. There might've been a severe uh, event in the past or they might just never have spoken about money while growing up um, whatever it is maybe sort of have some conversations trying to work out what their relationship was money was growing up where those beliefs about investing come from it might just be a lack of education or there might be an actual reason for this belief um, mm. so just sort of finding out some of that backstory and I saw a quote that Mel included from Brené Brown and was when we deny the story, it defines us. When we own the story, we can write a brave new ending. And I thought that was quite a good quote about sort of realizing sort of the background between our money beliefs and how that's affecting us now. So that's probably more of my holistic idea there. That's a little bit less about uh, investing, but more of where those ideas are coming from and why she believes what she believes. I think, yeah, I think what you're saying, and I understand this is, once you understand the why, like why does someone think mm. like that, it's often pretty easy to figure out the how. Like how do you combat that? Yeah. And so if like, saying that, I have come across instances where someone is so shut off to money and even just the conversation makes them so anxious that they just will not 
They will just shut it down instantly. And that's what I mean where life events are sometimes the things that are required for those people to kind of snap back into gear. But oftentimes you can find a way to relate. So once you find out why are they, why do they have anxiety with money? You know, for me growing up, it's purely from a lack of understanding. I didn't grow up in an environment where money was spoken about in the household. Mm. So I didn't have, you know, that relationship. And it was always a point of anxiety when parents are splitting up and, you know, you're forced to kind of fend for yourself a bit. Mm. You, you kind of form this habit where like you have to work hard and you can't part with money, you know, and you get these really unhealthy associations. So that's the whole part, point of Mel's book. And I've got it right here in front of me. Yeah. And you just quoted we'll it. We'll include a link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, what, what is it? Budgets don't work, but this does. But yeah. it, it really, I think half of the book really just dives into your actual personality of, with money. It has a quiz in there. And I think both Owen and I had some really interesting revelations from yeah. reading that and going through that. And how we're like the different mindsets we have. And I mean, so often like investing can be a very rational thing. Sometimes we can look at it very analytically. We can look at um, the Vanguard charts, as we've mentioned in the past, and look mm. at over the last century, this is what the markets have done. Like they might have times of volatility, but over time they have gone up. But I mean, that's very analytical side of things that doesn't mm. deal with all of the behavioral and emotions behind our relationship. And I think. What, what was it Morgan's quote? He said 90% of investing is to do with our behavior and only 10% is the actual sort of facts and figures and mm. doing it. it um, so I think that's more what needs to be addressed and thought about here. Yeah. And so, you know, this book is, fanta- is a fantastic resource, but try and understand where that comes from. And I've got some other strategies here mm. that can kind of help you with the emotional bar- barriers. And we've got some uh, strategies here. So... One step at a time, I think, is probably the best advice. Yeah. Um, even with my partner, um, she's fantastic with money, don't get me wrong. But she, you know, believed that investing in a house and, and um, she grew up in a, in a house full of pragmatists with money, people that kind of worked hard and then saved and that's the way you mm-hmm. got ahead, you know. Whereas I was definitely more like, in Mel's words, a creator, <laughs> the more free spirit with money. Yeah. And I realized that, you know, Business and investing in businesses is how the world operates and makes a lot of money. Whereas mm. her belief was that we needed to own a house and own it soon. Yeah. And it probably took maybe three or four years. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's probably fair. Three or four years for her to understand that, you know, it's okay not to own a house. It's okay to rent or to buy shares or to do mm. this or do that with your money. That's okay too. You don't have to conform with what everyone else says. But that did take a long time. You know, it definitely didn't happen overnight. Yeah. So that's one thing um, to keep in mind as you go through this. Um, the second thing is asking for their input. Even yeah. if they have you know, a crap answer, even if you're like, hey, should we invest in the Vanguard ETF or the iShares ETF? <laughs> and they're like, I don't care. Just pick whatever. At least yeah. you asked and you, know, you can say, oh, but this one does this and this one does this. And they'll be like, I don't care. Just pick it. At least mm. you're having that conversation and you're trying yeah, to bridge you're, that. You're opening up that area. And I think also another thought I was having before is working out what way they learn best and how they've got comfortable learning other things in, a par- in the past. Maybe how did they um, get comfortable learning about their job? Did they like going out and meeting a lot of people and talking about it? Did they like listening to podcasts, watching videos? reading books, case studies, did they like doing it through practical means? Did they just want to learn as much as possible before they did anything? Work out what what is the way they learn best and how did they get comfortable with other areas in their life and then maybe sort of give them some tools in that direction. Like mm. if, if they really like podcasts, maybe suggest one that works for them or 
um, maybe like give them a book or um, introduce them to someone who has um, maybe a few years more experience in that area that they might be able to just sit down and have a casual, really honest, open coffee chat with that mm. might be um, sort of understand their situation like a little sort of a, a money mentor or sort of something. Yeah, like sometimes that. they need it from a different voice, right? Yeah. You know, you can just prattle on all day about <laughs> all the different things that are important to you and them and whatever. Sometimes they just need to hear it from someone else. So maybe when you go on a drive with them, mm. you play the podcast through the thing. You say, okay, we'll listen to your podcast for half an hour, then my podcast. And you deliberately know that you've chosen a podcast that is about money but might interest them and then yeah. you can try and influence their thinking that way. Um, I've got some other things here like be a cheerleader, let them know that you appreciate their effort when they save. Have a weekly meeting, so keep it short and fun. Maybe you could each once a week just throw in an idea of how you might save money or invest or whatever, just have that conversation. Um, it's okay for you to compromise. There's sometimes, you know, it's okay if money comes out of the, the team account or the group account. Sometimes you've got to, you've got to just, you know, that's okay. You just mm. got to do that. Um, there are some, I don't know. I just, I was thinking before we started, just some crazy games that people could come up with, um, to make it a bit of fun. Um, the first one was have like a, a monthly, I called it a cred card, not a credit card, but a cred card where you have, you each have like a fake card and it gives you a hundred dollar allowance. This is just more of a money thing rather than an investing thing. Mm. And you can use it on anything you want for the month, but you only get a hundred bucks on this card, this imaginary card. Um, the other thing is like, if you have like a, isn't this could apply equally to investing or to money more generally? But once you have established your knowledge, you could test your partner out and say, Hey, for every right move you make, we're going to put $10 towards our investing account and, and go from there. And, mm. you know, if they get 10 out of 10, right, it's a hundred bucks that they get to choose the investment or something like that. Something silly, yeah. something a bit of fun. Mm. And yeah, just make it fun. As, as you said, I, I think a lot of people just go, Oh, I'm not good with money. I'm not good at investing. It's for smart mm. people. It's for rich people. It's not something I could do. It's not something I'd ever be good at. And I, investing's for everybody and it's really accessible now. And I think, um, yeah, think what are those limiting beliefs and what is, what is the reason they aren't interested? And maybe they'll never be that interested, but at least sort of having an idea about what sort of you're doing with your money together mm. is really important. Yeah, and you can always, and I'd say we'll come up with more tips over time, but you can gamify this too. There might be another way for us to get ideas from our community, mm. which we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, so the next question is on finding um, new companies. Yes, so, do you new read companies to invest in. So um, I've just started listening to your podcast and love the content. I've personally made an investment in an ETF in the last couple of days, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. I'm happy with my purchase and have done research and need to build a strong core before I can go on to individual shares. So I, they're probably referencing our mention of the satellite and core approach in previous yep. episodes. So the big question here is where do you go to start researching up and coming companies and getting the information? I've had a couple of mates who invested in Afterpay before it got big, though I'm not sure how they found the information on it. Yeah. Okay. So first things first, why don't I answer this question by answering the opposite question? Where do you not go? And you do <laughs> not go to places like Facebook. I mean, you can go there to hear what other people have to say. In my opinion, places like Facebook, Hot Copper, um, those types of environments are really toxic and they're not mm. the right type of learning environment. Maybe like Reddit's a better source, but even still, like it's not advice coming from someone who's reputable. So, I mean, you can use those sources absolutely, but just remember that, you know, that's just some random's opinion on, on the interwebs. Yeah. And they often don't always have the purest intentions. Now, 
Yeah, I'm going to just go straight from that <laughs> to kind of where you can go. And I'm going to give it like a plug to ourselves and our team. But um, our team um, at Rest Media, so they Kate occasionally writes an article there and so do I. Um, we publish probably five to ten articles a day on different companies mm. in Australia. Um, so you can go there. You can spend 15 minutes each day just reading that. There are other websites. Um, I'll give a plug to our competitors, which uh, The Motley Fool. Um, there are a few others that I would avoid in that list, but maybe I won't, so maybe I won't go to them. But yeah, you can read Rass Media for 15 minutes a day. You can read, um, The Motley Fool. You can read the Sydney Morning Herald. The Australian Financial Review. The I, AFR, yeah. I quite, when I, especially when I was getting started, I read that quite a bit just to sort of have an idea about what are the major industries in Australia, what's happening, um, what are some of the companies. And that's, you hear about a lot of the up and coming companies, especially of, uh, a company might be wanting to list in Australia. They often try and get a bit of publicity through the yep. through the mainstream media because they want if they want retail investors to participate. So and um, that's often a good way to keep an eye on what's happening. And even Twitter, if you yeah. if you sort of um, find follow quite a few different people on Twitter, you often start to see different sort of companies being mentioned, and that might kickstart you going, hmm, I want to go and interest that uh, read about that a bit more. Yeah, just just the important point, just when you get these opinions is just to make sure that you make your own mind up Mm. don't just believe what someone says to be correct um, because they have a place that they publish or a lot of followers or something like that so what i did is i read back in the day is i read the like every article on the motley fool (laughs) website that that day i would spend time doing that and then i would eventually i got to a point where i would keep a spreadsheet with just basic notes on companies that i find interesting and then go and try and find another piece of information on them and that's that's generally how I did it. I've just got a note here to say that, you know, there are automated services where you can like get every company on the ASX in a list and you're like, okay, that's fantastic. But that doesn't help me actually understand mm. what the companies do or how to remember what they are doing or what they're up to. So that's one way you can do it. Another way, which is a really blunt way, is you can actually just, using your brokerage account or the asx.com.au website, just... Like all the companies that make announcements, just read them and see yeah, what they're doing. Yeah, and read, read their annual reports, read um, you know, any of their key announcements, go onto their website, see what their product or service is, um, like do just some extensive Googling, uh, which is <laughs> yeah. I think where most analysts probably start. Um, uh, and just, uh, yeah, what news articles. I think Owen even looks at Glassdoor reviews occasionally. Yeah, so Glassdoor is a HR review website. Mm. Like you go on there for culture ratings or seek seek does the same thing yeah. or you can find the employees on linkedin and look at what they've posted about the company there's lots of ways to sort of online yeah, yeah you can stalk the company yeah. so just before we go two quick plugs here one for one up on wall street which is a great beginner book for learning to invest in consumer companies yeah um and we've got a, obviously a free valuation course so you can get on that on the rask education website if you're interested mm. okay final question i believe before we make yes. an announcement um is a different type of question, Kate, so maybe you yeah. can ask this one. So this question is, where are the places to go to source a good financial advisor when you don't have a personal recommendation? Um, mm. And what are some questions potentially you could ask them? Sometimes personal recommendations are the worst, to be honest. <laughs> like, I, not just with financial advisors, with anything. Mm. Like, oh, yeah, use my mechanic down the road, Jimmy. Yeah, he's really good. You go down there, he rips <laughs> you off something shocking because – the person that recommended you actually has no idea about how to have an opinion on yeah. a mechanic. So that's sometimes it works against you. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it works against you. Anyway. Yeah, and if you, if you if the person giving you the recommendation doesn't know that much, they might not know if they had a good service to start with. And I think that's 
sometimes the thing with financial advisors because it can get a bit complex when they produce the statement of advice for you there's a lot of charts and a lot of graphs and a lot of projections and um, a lot of you don't often see the result of the financial advice for a five to ten year period so it's quite hard to next week provide that recommendation to someone you can recommend them based on the service and you think you've got good quality but results that's quite a hard one to measure it's very hard to measure some people believe that you know, a good advisor can save you X percent per year, mm. like 5% yeah. per year. Or some people believe that yeah, you, for every dollar you spend on a financial advisor, you might save $2 in tax and yeah. you know, mistakes really. But, you know, those are all kind of case by case. So we've got some just straight up answers here, some really good resources. Yeah. So um, there's actually a great website I found called advisorratings.com.au and I'll put that in the show notes, but it's kind of like a, a marketplace where you can actually leave reviews and things like that. So you can actually mm-hmm. put in your postcode, find some advisors near you and have a look and read some of their reviews. They actually put some details about their skill set. So that's one way to narrow it down a little bit. Um, we've also I've also included some resources on sort of how to actually choose that financial advisor and things to think about. And there's also a list um, that we'll include, which is the independent financial yeah, advisors. Yeah, which is a really good website. Which is actually to to. a very small list, less than 100 of them. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's because independent financial advisors, that word independent in Australia, according to regulators for finance, is a very, very delicate mm. topic. So, they're very, very hard to come by and they often cost you more because they are independent. Yeah, and they right? don't take a single kickback from anybody. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Some I've got things to think about. Yes, oh yes, yes. include fees. Yes, which um, are outlined in the financial services guide and they or FSG. Might, yeah, yep. so they but they also might be able to give you sort of an indication. You could ask for a quote. You could say, "I need this, this, and this." There'll often be a base level fee because for most things, they do have to provide you with a a statement of advice and go through your scenario. There's only some circumstances where they can provide a limited version of that. Um, I'd maybe ask for some testimonials or case studies. Again, they're a grain of salt. Maybe they'll even connect you with a real-life client. I don't Mm. know if any of them do that. Yeah, um, that could be interesting. Yeah, Um, and also maybe their approach to providing financial advice. I mean, they're probably not going to tell you what they do with their own money. You could try asking that. Um, And maybe whether they're available to answer questions because if they set you up with this whole new system and you've got lots of questions, you're confused, you're not sure, are they going to be able to answer those questions? Are you going to feel comfortable talking to them? So I think that's a lot of them give you a, a, like a coffee meetup, a free consultation. So yeah, fifteen minute call over Skype or whatever. Yeah, they use. yeah, that's yeah, it's probably all Zoom at the moment, <laughs> Zoom, yeah. Skype. Um, but I'd want to make sure I feel comfortable speaking to them, and I I'd be happy to ask them questions, even if I feel like they're a dumb question, um, and they're happy to answer them, or they're yeah. not going to charge you like five hundred bucks per per question. <laughs> yeah, you can you can search for financial advisors on the Money Smart website. Mm. And you can also check their AFSL. We've talked about AFSL yeah. number. Check that on the ASIC.gov.au website. It looks clunky and old and gross, but it's probably worth doing. Yeah. One thing on the fees is that sometimes you pay fees and then there's like another totally different table of fees. Sale, uh, sales. Financial advisors can be great salesmen and women. So just keep in mind that you want to just a clear cut answer on the fees. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask stupid questions because honestly, that's why you're there. We always say that, but... It is really important mm. and don't be, you know, also don't be the type of person and I hear this quite often who cleans for the cleaner, don't be the type of person that tries to get all your financial affairs in order and then goes and meets with the financial advisor to say, oh, you know, you know, yeah, we do this with our money, we do that, when yeah. really that's just complete BS. Just yeah. be honest with them because 
the financial advisor needs to know what you really mm. are like because otherwise the strategies are pointless. Yeah, and if you don't provide them the true answers or don't give them a proper indication of your tolerance to risk, then they yeah. might put you in a product that at the end of the day is not right for you at, at no fault of their own. It's just because you've given them incorrect information. So, I mean, a lot of people feel pretty shitty laying bare their whole finances yeah, and everything, all the, the good, bad and the ugly, but it's really important to do that to for them to give you the for them to be in the best position to provide you proper advice as well. And the first, the last thing I'd probably just check their education. Um, have they done the relevant courses and have they got experience? If you want financial advice on a very specific niche topic, um, then make sure they've got experience in that area because like many things, financial advisors can specialize in different yeah. areas. So make sure they, they can give you the advice in what you need. Yep. And if you get into, uh, just one final thing, if you get a re uh, referral from a mortgage broker or from an accountant, just remember that they may have a relationship with the financial advisor too. Hmm. Um, okay, so we got to the end of this. Um, thank you for those that are listening. <laughs> you are the diehard fans of the Australian Finance Podcast. Yes. We actually have a new, an announcement to make, and this is something that we've wanted to make for ages. Um, I'll let, because Kate's worked so hard on it, I'll let her do the <laughs> announcement. But uh, Kate, what are we doing? Yes, yeah, so we're actually, there's been much debate about that in the, this in the team, but we're starting a, and we have launched a new Facebook group for all of our members and listeners to join, chat about things, continue discussions we start in the podcast. A lot of the times when we get questions, we're just giving our thoughts and we really appreciate, and I'm sure the question asker would appreciate hearing everyone else's thoughts and experiences. Mm. So we're starting the group, uh, really sort of open chats about money, investing, everything super side hustles let's talk about it all so we'd love to have you join us uh to be sort of a foundation member so we'll put all the details in the show notes as well yep um but we'd love to have you in there and um yeah we'll start some of the discussions about some of the questions we asked in today's podcast and we'd love to have your thoughts as well yeah and so we the reason why we want to do this is because we do receive a lot of questions mm. and there are so many things that we just simply can't get to like this went for yeah. 40 minutes right so <laughs> we just can't get to them and so with this group in particular, one thing that we're going to do, um, and I think I can say this, is that we actually, and I should I say, oh, maybe I'll, I'll take the blame for this. So <laughs> I would like to, in the next few months, stream the question and answer sessions mm. live via video into our Facebook group so you can ask questions on the fly. And so, you know, we can create a really good community that helps each other and respects each other and just wants to generally help people. So it's not going to be one of those... ASX stock tippers, no. you know, forums. It's going to be more of a, it's going to be everything. So it's going to be how do you start investing right through to have you guys read this in the Australian Financial Review? It says this about this company. Yeah. Really cool stuff. Really th easy things that can help you. You can join via Facebook. There will be a couple of questions and just a, a thing that says, you know, you accept the that this is only like general information. Mm. It's not going to be advice from any licensed advisors in there. But um, we would love it for you to join. We haven't even invited friends or family. That's something we're going to do. Yeah, yeah, we've <laughs> got to we've got to do that. And, we're going to um, at least get a few people in there first. The but. time the group launches, hopefully, we've got a few people in the group <laughs> to kick off the discussion. But um, uh, if you're one of the first movers and in the group first, you'll have uh, a lot more access to Owen and I before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'll before it gets too crowded. Yeah, we'll try and engage when we can. Obviously, we can't be in there every day, but um, we'll try and engage when we can and 
And if maybe if you're in the first hundred members, we'll try and answer all of your questions <laughs> in the first Q and A. So you can oh, give that a crack. Making promises that he may not be able to keep. He may not be able to deliver, but if of a hundred people have a hundred questions, that's a lot of answers. But we'll try our best. So yeah. Yeah, we'd love to see you in there. If you have some wisdom, you want to share some money hacks, some experiences, please, please, please drop in and um, yeah, say good day in the in the thread. Anyway, we've um, put all the things we've mentioned in the show notes today, so be sure to check that out. And uh, you can send any questions for future episodes to podcast at raskrask.com.au. Yep, and we're also on all the socials. So Kate's on socials. Uh, well, I'm going to wait. No, your website, which is your personal website, which is kind of <laughs> cool, howtomoney.online. Um, I don't know. What's your? Um, uh, Twitter and Instagram, howtomoneyaus. How too many are you? So easy to remember. Owen Rask on Twitter <laughs> at Owen Rask. Um, cool, Kate. As always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, Tim. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.